Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this is it. One of the biggest guests we've ever had and one that most of our listeners know I have been trying to make happen for literally years. We're celebrating the kickoff of 2023 and our 400th episode with who I think is one of the greatest producers of all time, if not the greatest, the magnificent Trevor Horn. So Trevor, I think as everyone knows, he is known mostly as the man who invented the 80s. And that's for that work that he did with people like Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Grace Jones, Dollar, US, uh, Yes, ABC, Seal, you mentioned it. I love this man, as you know, that, that music is just, it's such glorious ear candy. The reason we were able to finally have him on the show is because he recently put out which is sort of a musical autobiography. It's called Adventures in Modern Recording from ABC to ZTT. I will say when I did this interview, I had not received the book yet. And so I was not as informed going into it as I would have liked. I read the book over, it arrived shortly after this and I read it over Christmas. It's one of the best music books I've ever read. Now, of course, I'm gonna say that because I'm a super fan, but the word that keeps coming to mind is delicious. Every page is some juicy deliciousness about a an artist or a process or his mind. I just wanted to understand what made Trevor Horn the producer that he was. And I didn't quite get there in this conversation, but I did in the book. I have a spare book to give away to a Patreon supporter. So listen up at the end of the podcast and I will tell you more about that. Now, with the good comes some of the bad. Unfortunately, we had glitchy Wi-Fi almost the entire conversation. So here I finally get to talk to the man that I've been wanting to talk to almost more than anyone else. And it is not the ideal situation because technology was not our friend. Now, when you listen to this, Yan will have cleaned it up so that you can tell, so that you can, you know, it's a more coherent conversation. But in reality, it was super buggy and laggy. And I can't, you know, because we're both freezing on each other, you can't tell when the other person's really done talking. It was not the experience that I really wanted to have. It's been a little heartbreaking to be completely honest with you. I finally get the person that I've always wanted to talk to and it wasn't quite what I measured, what I wanted it to be because technology didn't cooperate. Anyway, at least it happened. And so in this conversation, we get into people like Seal, uh, Simple Minds, Yes, uh, Grace Jones, Mark Almond, ABC, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, all of those bands, all the ones that he's really known for. And I cannot stress this enough to you. Please check out this book. First of all, if you like Trevor, it's a must read. But if you're even a fan of 80s music and you want to know more about how he basically was the architect of that time, this is the book to help you do that, okay? Anyway, I think you're going to enjoy this one way or the other. Again, it wasn't the exact experience that I wanted to have, but he's still one of my musical heroes and one of the greatest minds that music has ever put out there. And the book is fantastic. Uh, he called me from his home in London. I've been wanting to do this for years. And so I'm trying to think, where do I want to begin with Trevor Horn? Because there are so many great projects that have changed my life that I want to get into. And I think the first place I want to go is Seal. Because the, um, the first album, especially, that you did with him is, I, I was thinking about it getting ready to talk to you. I think, you, I think 
three of your albums are in my top 20 or so favorite albums of all time. Yeah. And that's one of them. And uh, I've, the thing that I've always appreciated about that album in particular is the melding of kind of what sounds like anyway, organic instruments with kind of dance beats. Yeah. And your sound is typically so grandiose and orchestrated. And yet there's moments on that album that require minimalism, like Whirlpool or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I just think, how does Trevor Horn decide when to step back and when to go full Trevor Horn on somebody? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking of Seal in particular. Well, I think the Seal records were quite different from the Frankie Goes to Hollywood records. They sure were, yeah. Um, it was a different challenge, really. The music was quite different. The Seal was quite different. And really, it was all about a singer and uh, and presenting him in the best possible way. And there was something very... The first album, he was kind of playing the guitar and writing songs really fast, you know, and coming up with things. Uh, so, so I had new, different sorts of challenges, you know, because Seal didn't write sort of straightforward songs. Mm -hmm. They were kind of different. Mm -hmm. So I have to figure out a way of, uh, they didn't, you know, it wasn't like eight bars, a bridge, and then the, mm -hmm. it was all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But, but that's what really made it interesting, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think it's, it's, a, I think it's a good album as, you know, as an album you know yeah i agree start to finish my uh, it, it, yeah one of the songs on it in particular that i wanted to ask you about was deep water it sort of starts out as this acoustic yeah. almost bluesy type thing and then it becomes what it becomes in this more um like i said sort of orchestrated very gorgeous um ballad with some synth lines and some strings are you i mean you're the mastermind of most projects you work on is well, it, well is let it me Seal's tell you about vision the... or is it your vision well seal seal had uh at the first part, the, the mm. you know, and uh, both of them swam from a northern blue sky. Mm -hmm. He was talking about dolphins or something. Oh. Uh, and, and he had the second part as well. But okay. he, he didn't know how to join them together. 
or he hadn't thought of them as the same song. He I just wonder. had the two ideas. And I'd said, I said, well, we could, I tell you what we could do is we could go into a miasma in the middle with, with an orchestra, you know, where we just go off and float and then we come out with the second song. And he was up for it. So that's what we did. It worked. Wow. So, yeah, I, so I, like his, track, yeah. I love on. that track too. So, in yeah. his mind, that started out as two different songs, and you came yeah. with, with the idea of melding them with that, as you said, yeah. miasma. That's perfect. Um, okay. So, another thing, another question I have about that album in particular is Violet. I love I love putting on Violet and just getting lost. It's eight minutes of just yeah. pleasure, you know. And so my question: There's a couple of them. One, who decided that song needed to be eight minutes long? Is it you? And then two, well, answer that one first, then I'll throw my second one at you. Well, I suppose it's Seal, really, because really he kept going with it, uh, and it was such a lo lovely mood. I had the uh, it's VHS. The last track it is. I had a VHS tape of the recording or something of that album, and there the that just has an, like a stripped down, unplugged acoustic version, which is also very lovely. And I thought, I wonder if this began as this, but Trevor heard it as what we hear on the album. No, I tell I tell you, uh, the 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 really cool synth stuff on that is is a synth program called Guy Sigsworth. Oh sure, uh, yeah. Jamie Mahobarak sort of added to it. Okay, but it, it was it was his. Uh, it was beautiful, and it yeah. was one of the he'd he'd done Seal had done that track, or he'd definitely started it because it was one. Of, it was actually the first thing he ever sang to me. He really? had a backing track of it, and he put it on and sang. You know, ooh, I want you comb your hair a different like that. Yeah. God, yeah, I, I fucking loved it, you know. I love that. Um, okay, your relationship with Seal has taken many forms over the years, and um, sometimes it seems. And I, well, I wonder if this is kind of like a Meatloaf and Jim Steinman thing, where <laughs> you know, where Meatloaf is just sometimes, fortunately or unfortunately, more powerful when he teams up with Jim than he is on his own, but he doesn't want to accept that in his life. He wants to believe he can do it himself, and sometimes he does, but it's never quite there. Is that what goes on with the Seal dynamic? I think if Seal works with a really good producer, like he worked with um, David Foster on, on the first solo album, 
it did incredibly well. I think if Seal works with a really good producer, it'll be successful. Yeah. It depends on the, you know, it doesn't have to be me. It can be another no. producer. Just yeah. somebody who takes care. And David Foster did a good job of that record. Yeah. Another one I wanted to, okay, so Seal, you finally win the, the Grammy for Kiss from a Rose. That second album is still great. Yeah. It feels a little slicker maybe or more adult contemporary or something. Maybe I'm way off. When you go into that second album, what's the mandate? Are you thinking we need to take you to another level, a different place, keep it going? What's the mandate on that album? get all the songs to work and make a really good album and i think i think the second album started off we had I, when I, I when i heard bring it on i really liked bring it on i just like the whole sentiment of it and the whole vibe of it but you know second albums are normally a total nightmare because <laughs> you don't have the material and whatever but uh, seal had kiss from a rose you know w while we were making the first album at some point he said to me I've written this funny song. It's like a kind of green sleeves or something. It's like a folk song, like an Elizabethan folk song kind of thing. That sounds interesting. So when we were starting the second album, I said to him, what about that Elizabethan folk song thing you talked about? I'd like to hear that. <laughs> he made a demo of Kiss from a Rose, and it was, it was a brilliant demo. You know, um, uh -huh. it was pretty much the song that you hear there, you know, and uh, you know, I think the only change I made was I took the middle eight down a tone okay. um, or something and put a 3-8 bar in the verse. But apart from that, see, well, the whole, you know, it was all. Wow. It, it, it was great. It was a really cool demo. And uh, I mean, I loved it from the first time I heard it. I was, I, I was a bit, it took me a while to figure out how to do it. And, and to be honest, for a while after the album had been out, I thought that I'd kind of got it wrong. Oh, I really? Be more electronic with it in some way. Mm. Nadamski did such a great remix of it called Kicks from the Roads that I liked. I haven't heard that one. Yeah, it's really cool. But but then, of course, then we ended up getting a Grammy for it. It just shows you how things change. Yeah, no, you kidding. Know? no kidding. Um, I, th I okay. think with, with Kiss from a Rose, people just needed to hear it. Yeah. Because it was, it was, it was so different. It was so interesting. Mm -hmm. It's so fresh. And all those, all those vo harmony vocals that Seal did, you know, it's all Seal. Yeah. 
is all every single harmony on the second half is all sealed. There's not really? many people that can do their own harmonies like that. No. Yeah, and there's it's no so, session singers or any girl singers or anything. Those big soaring vocals and the chorus and so, everything. So yeah. 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 So the second album, when you say AOI, was actually more alternative, really, because, yeah. uh, you know, because so Prayer for the Dying was number one alternative for ages. You couldn't turn the radio on in LA without hearing it. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't, that wasn't really a rock track. Got, no. I mean, I don't know what it was, but it was really cool, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's just I, like very musical. Yes. If I said AOR, I think I meant adult contemporary. It was uh, yeah. just, you know, it was just slightly more mature. But of course, it's the second album, so why wouldn't it be mature? Um, yeah. Okay, I want to ask you about the Simple Minds Project, Street Fighting Years. This was, um, I have a lot of mixed feelings about this album because they're one of my favorite bands ever as well. But that album was not the right, I, in America, in the UK, it was different. But in America, it was probably not viewed as the right album to follow once upon a time when they had finally broken through. And so I'm curious what your experience was like working with them on that, because I've heard that there was like writer's block going on and that some of the songs are really grandiose because they weren't sure what they even had, but I don't know if that's true. They didn't have a big hit single uh, for America. It's a big hit single for England. For it's sad news I bring About this old town and all that it's offering Some say troubles abound Someday soon they're gonna pull the old town down One day we'll Brother, sisters, where are you now? As I look for you right through the crowd, all my life here I've spent with my faith in God and church and the government. Some say trouble. Yeah, Belfast in the UK because we, we Belfast Child, we got a lot of awards for that. But no, they didn't have a big single for America. But at the time, they just didn't feel like they wanted to wait and try and find it or write it. So they wanted to move on. Okay. Was that a, it feels like a late, well, a lot of your stuff does. It feels like an album that was labored over. Was that a fun project? Was it difficult? Was it any different than any other project you've worked on? When you say labored over, um, I hope it didn't sound that labored. Um, <laughs> Just, it's so uh, grandiose. Uh, How do we make this even bigger, you know? Well, well working with the bands is always trickier than working with session guys. I have to deal with personalities. Yeah. Whereas when you deal with session guys, you, the reason they're there is because you like them and you have an <laughs> empathy with them. So it's a, it's a, it's a, 
it can it it can be quite quite uh, quite long sometimes because you're depending on people in the band. Some of it would be quick, you know. Um, uh, the Nelson song was was one day, you know. Mm. Mm. Uh, some of the others took a bit more time. Okay, okay, um, okay. Let's talk about your book. My understanding, I haven't read it yet, obviously, but I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. Uh, it touches on 23 songs that either you worked on or were influential for you to work on. And I'm thinking, there's got <laughs> you probably had to cut hundreds of so we all do. You know, I could I don't know that I could narrow down my life yeah. to 23 songs. How what how, this project I think has been coming on? You've been working on it for a while. Why was now the time to put out this book? Well, it's better than going on reality TV. <laughs> <laughs> it always is. Anything's better than that. <laughs> uh, um, why did I put it out now? Yeah, it's a good question. I asked myself that a few times. I tell you why, because this book company showed a lot of interest and we're ah. dead eager. And I had written a few of the chapters already and I had them hanging around and I thought, well, why not do it? You know, I thought it might, uh, I might as well do it from too old. So I did it. Yeah. I well, you said, you said might as well. I mean, you, you have to have been approached about writing a book for decades, right? Oh, sometimes people have talked about it. Yeah. And somebody started one, but I hated it. So oh, um, someone wrote one about you. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, see, you know, yeah, you know, um, and the thing is, re record producers, you know, nobody really knows what what you do. So, uh, uh -huh. so I guess maybe if you read the book, it explains it a little bit. You know, you're yeah. the one hustling that gets the record finished, whatever it Absolutely. takes. Right. You know, <laughs> right. well, everybody else is having a great time. Yeah, you're worrying about it because you've got to deliver the finished thing. That's right. I mean, you know, some things you go in and uh, they come out great, but uh, there's no story in them, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I've obviously picked the ones where there's a bit of a story. Yeah. Where they were, where, you know, there were, I mean, things like Slave to the Rhythm. But there's lots yeah. of things that I've done, you know. I mean, the book just scrapes the surface, really. And so many things it. you have to take out because, you know, all kinds of things for all kinds of reasons. Yeah. So I was going to say you've had quite a life outside of music too. Um I don't know, do you cover that part? I mean some some real ups and downs, some hard some hard times. You don't get into that. No. This is strictly a music book. No. No. Strictly music. Yeah. Okay. I, I mentioned my late wife quite frequently. But only in the context that I dedicated the book to her. Okay. Great. Uh, because she's very important, but I don't sort of. Uh, it's not an autobiography, right? Adventures in modern recording. It is what it says. It is. It's uh, not really a... Okay. No, it is what it says. Yeah. It's about time in the studio. I think that's what people are interested in. Yeah. Really. Mm -hmm. And records were adventurous. They were adventure. You know. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, good. I you know, I can't. I've had friends like now. I, I hear lots of good records, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I've had friends who know how much I love you, and they'll text me pictures of that their book arrived and everything, and um, I, I can't wait to read it. it uh, this is oh, like, wow. yeah, this well, this is like the pot of gold at the end of a, of a lifetime of 
loving you rainbow you know i can't it's uh some of us have been dying for this moment you know for decades to learn from you so i'm excited to read it um i wanted to ask you about okay so there's several i don't know if you're gonna learn much about record what what were you gonna say i, was gonna say, I, I, I don't know if you'll learn much of, much about the practicalities of record production from the book <laughs> well, I'm not a record producer. I'm mostly what oh, I'm good. fascinated by is what goes on in your head. The sound that you hear in your head changed the world and and in, and in, and improved millions of people's lives. And that comes down to you. Not every producer can say that. Most producers, well, not most, I don't know. A lot of producers are there to enhance what's already great about an artist. And you do that, but you elevate it even more. And very few people have had that effect on the world, but you have. That's the thing that I want to understand about Trevor Horn. Yeah. Well, maybe I don't understand it, so I don't know if I could explain it. <laughs> Um, I had a different background to to lots of people in the music business, you know. In the seventies, I I I started, you know, I I grew up with sort of dance band music, and I wasn't really like a rock and roller or anything like that. In fact, you know, I I could never the blues and stuff like that. I used to wonder why people wanted to play the blues. I I understand now. A lot more than I did then, but back then I didn't. So by the time I kind of got, you know, got to thirty, and I, I actually, you know, had the first hit, and lots of the things that I liked, I tried to get into the records I made. You know, a kind of uh, a sort of sense of romance or harmony. You know, mm -hmm. that records wouldn't normally have, because I like records so much. I. I, I could look for the bits that make you really like a record, you yeah. know, because yeah. it isn't, it's, you know, it's the corners and the way that thing progresses. There's all kinds of things that make a really good record. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, for a while, it, it's like having a, a time where, where you understand something and most of the people around you don't, yeah. like what to do with the Fairlight. You know, I, I mean, Peter Gabriel was using it, and so was Kate Bush, mm -hmm. but no one was using it in sort of mainstream pop. Uh, you know, no one had got there yet, if you get my drift. Sure. And what you could do with it. And I guess uh, I was in a good position because I've been a musician, so I could judge other musicians. I knew who was good, you know what I mean? So I could hire really good people. And, then, and obviously being a musician... I knew how to get the best out of them, how to treat them, not like be an arsehole, you know what I mean? Be, be yeah. kind and, and yeah. make them feel like they can like like they can come up with anything, you know? Yeah. I always used to say to the assistants, um, I won't fire you for arguing with me. If you see I'm doing something that I shouldn't do. I said, But if you if you if you see something and you don't tell me, then I'll be angry with you. Ooh, right? You know? Yeah. You've got to tell me. And I won't drop you in it. You don't drop me in it, right? Yeah. So yeah. I never, like, you know, if somebody's angry about something, I want to say, well, he did it, you know? Yeah. It's very important, those kind of things, and the sort of vibe that you keep around you with the musicians. And, you know, I had a, a really sort of fertile period because 
you know, getting your hands on the technology first, yeah. being able to do a record like that. Out of a Lonely Heart. It was great you know then you know then it just becomes part of the language yeah but then it was really exciting and people always remember the first time they heard things oh boy then so Kravitz true. said that yeah i was walking through soho house in la and lenny kravitz was sitting at the table he jumped up and introduced himself and and he said the first time he ever heard of lonely heart he pulled over Listen to it. And he had no idea how how what we were doing. Yeah. He said he knows now what we were doing, but back then, <laughs> yes, he didn't know what we were doing. So, uh, oh man, yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, that's one of the high because, water marks. Yeah. I mean, I made that record in 1983. Um, it, 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 that's you know, the, but I mean, that record was was also. Because, you know, if you think about it, yes, had been playing stadiums all the way through the 70s. Mm -hmm. They were like, all of them were brilliant players, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and technology interested them, too, you know. Once, yeah. once they sort of went into it, they liked the idea of it. Yeah. You know, the, the Getting to play with a drum machine wasn't easy, but... Uh, <laughs> so i got to ask you about that. I've had... Um... As I said, I've talked to well, so many people that have worked with you. Both Gary Langan was on here and Tony Kay from Yes were on here. Ooh, wow, and, Tony Kay. Yeah. And um, when, whenever I mention Leave It, they both get this sort of oh, kind of exhausted look on their face because that song took so much work. And uh, I wonder what 
made you, did you have the idea for a song like Leave It and Yes happened to be there and so you put it on them? No, no. Or was there something inherent about all, Yes no. that you thought, let's do, let's try this? Leave It took, leave it took a bit of time because we, we, we did it initially. It was a song that they had. Dang, 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 dang. Ah, leave it. Basically, we, we sort of did it and wrote it on the fly in a stu North London studio. Um, I can't remember the name, in Wilsdon. It was some of the best, for me, some of the most fun on the record because mm -hmm. it came up with that idea for the boom, do, do, that bit. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. thought it was great when we did that. I was really excited by that. Wow. And then it just seemed to get better and better for me. I wrote, I got a writing credit on that because I wrote all the lyrics. Oh, and it was okay. basically they just had leave it, and I think I wrote the rest. Um, wow, one down, there you go. One, one yeah. down, one to go. Another yeah. town, another show. Downtown, you're giving away what you never get back. Oh. No phone can take your place. Do you know what I mean? You know we have I mean. the same intrigue as a court of kings. Yeah. It was about being unfaithful on the road. <laughs> I think that's what they were trying to sing about. Wow, wow. <laughs> That's great. Um, okay. I Now, I have Patreon supporters, and I always let them know who I'm talking to, and they can submit questions. Um, I got a few for you. I, I'll try and get to a lot of them, but one of them in particular relates to yes. One of the listeners, Sugar Mouse, that's their name. I, don't, I love that name. I don't know who they are, but I think that's genius. Oh. He wanted to know, he or she, whoever they are, uh, would be, he want, they wanted to know about the keyboard intro coda to changes. They said it's so off kilter. It's tough to play. It's totally unique. Who thought of the intro to changes? Trevor Rabin. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. I never bothered yeah. counting. I didn't have to play it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool, though, isn't it? It I is. I, yeah. 90125 yeah. is another one of the albums you worked on that's in my top 20 or so yeah. of all time. Okay, you mentioned earlier Slave to the Rhythm. Stop the action. Keep it up, keep it up. 
And I, I have a lot of questions about that one too, because, and the first one I'm curious about, Grace feels like a guest on her own album, that that is almost more you um, in visualize, visualizing what an album for Grace Jones should sound like. And she sort of provides the singing, but all of the rest is yours. And I think Slave to the Rhythm is one of your absolute masterpieces. Bruce Woolley was on here and we talked about that. Um, do the, this might sound like a tough question. I hope it doesn't, but does the artist matter sometimes, you know, do they have input? Do you look at Grace Jones and think, I know what's going to be great for her slave to the rhythm. Does she, I know it was a Frankie song first, but does she inspire this? Do you, are these ideas you have that you're just looking for the right vessel to place them in? I know that's a lot of questions and I'm sorry, but that's what I want to know. No, well, the, the reason it came up was it was a, okay, it was a song that Bruce, Bruce and Woolley and Simon Darlow had written. And I, th at the time, I thought the title was better than the song. Right? I thought the song was okay. And we worked on it with uh, for, uh, as a potential second Frankie single because the Frankie demos didn't give us any confidence that there was an obvious second single there, you know? But it didn't work. Let me stop you um, for a second. I'm curious because if you're ultimately using... You've heard all music, of this, right? Well, I've heard a lot of it, yeah. But let me ask you about this. So you've, if you're ultimately using session musicians on the Frankie album, the only aspect I'm guessing that wouldn't work is Holly's voice. Is that right? No, I'm not. I wasn't using... I mean, when you say using session musicians, yes. Uh, the engineer, the guy that uh, engineered also was a really cool guitar player uh steve lipson who t went on to be a really big producer you know yeah he and i are talking soon too yeah so the frankie thing you know um i think i say it in the book when we signed the band the guitar player that was in the band wasn't the guy that played on the demos you know uh -huh, uh -huh. it was another guy and he'd only been playing for six weeks Oh, so wow. he couldn't play so we needed to he uh, as the time went by by the time we got to the end of the record he could play mm -hmm. because he he worked on it you know but it does take a while to learn to play the guitar so steve did all the guitar and then one guy did all the keyboards but you know that was the extent of session musicians apart from the orchestra here and there mm -hmm. what were you saying about holly's voice well i, I wondered if if that's why it didn't work if if you had access to all the same musicians and sound and production that ultimately went on Grace's song, the only thing that really would have been different was Holly's voice. And so I wonder if that's why it didn't work. But it, you're saying no, why what didn't work? Why Slave to the Rhythm didn't work for a Frankie song, but it did work oh, for a Grace song. Well, well, do you know what? It didn't work for exactly the same reason that it initially didn't work with Grace, because we did another ver we did a version of the song with Grace, you know, where it was sleep to the rhythm, it's very square, very very sort of Germanic beat, and that was the same kind of beat that we'd use with the Frankies. The only rhythm I'd heard at the time that was new was the Go go and and I had no idea how this song was going to fit. I kind of thought maybe do to do to work all day. Yeah, I could see that maybe you know that might might fit. What I, what I didn't 
expect was that Bruce would come up with those fabulous chords, oh. you know, the, uh, which suddenly, you know, really made made the whole thing. That's yeah. what everybody really likes about it. The chords are so beautiful. Yeah. And uh, that's why I, you know, I went to New York and tried to using the drummer from Experience Unlimited and the the percussion player from Experience Unlimited, I think, and then the bass player from Chuck Brown and the. Uh, oh sure, yeah. Is, is it Chuck Brown? Uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So the go go. The, the, the problem I couldn't I couldn't get them. Chop down the soul searches. Yeah, bust and loose. Yeah, talking about agreement. talking about money, money. <laughs> it, it was very obvious that they couldn't learn an arrangement, so I had to think of something another way around it. Mm. You know, arrangements in go go is start and stop. That's the arrangement. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shit true. happens in between. Nobody knows what. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to orchestrate it. You know, with the odd numbers of bars. Yeah. Hopeless. Anyway. Yeah. um okay yeah i so does grace just swoop in and sing her vocals ian mcshane is on there you know doing some narration you masterminded that thing i'm guessing right yeah well well i i thought that since we i thought it would be i really liked what this young journalist i think his name is barney hoskins oh sure yeah he's great i really i really liked his writing and I asked him if he would write something for the record, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and he wrote some. He wrote. He he gave me like three or four paragraphs. That whole rhythm is both the songs. Yeah. Blah blah. Yeah, all that bit. And uh, my brother-in-law is an actor, and he tried doing it, but it, it was okay. You know, it was okay when he did it. Uh-huh. But I, I wasn't totally convinced because he, he, you know, and he said, you might need somebody better than me. <laughs> um, and I was just having fish and chips in jars. And there was, uh, there was, what's his name? Um, Ian McShane. Ian McShane. Yeah. And of course I knew him because he was a bit of a yes fan. Oh. So, so um, I immediately went over and said, Ian, what are you doing after this? Do you want to come and talk on the record? <laughs> and he was like, uh, he says, I said, Ian, Orson Welles is dead, so only you will do. <laughs> Something like that. Right. Uh, but I, I, he, you know, he's an old yes fan, and I didn't know him because uh-huh. we stayed in touch a bit, and I did used to see him, so I knew him. And he came and I gotta say he did it in one fucking take, man. Mm, it was wow. He just read it off, and what a voice! Yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Okay, um, I want to ask you too about Mark Almond. Um, I love the Tenement Symphony album, and uh, you, I believe, do the second half of that, which is more of the symphonic part. Spanish bum who sings for women of great virtue. I'd sing to them with a guitar I borrowed from a coffee bar. Well, what you don't know doesn't hurt you. My name would be Antonio, and all my bridges I would burn. When I'd give them some, they'd know I'd expect something in return. I'd have to get drunk every night and talk about virility with 
some old grandmother that might be decked out like a Christmas tree. Pink elephants I'd see Though I'd be drunk as I could be I'd sing that song they sang to me About the time they called me Jackie If I could be For only an hour If I could be For an hour every day If I could be For just one little hour Cute in a stupid ass way So I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, yeah. and my family, we moved to Cambridge, England in 1991, and that song was right. big on the radio at the time, and it's the exact kind of song that you would never hear on Top 40 radio in the States. You might hear it on alternative radio, but not Top 40, and I just, it that song takes me back to yeah. just getting, just landing in in London and realizing I, I get all the music I love is at my fingertips where it isn't in the States, you know? Tell me about working right. with Mark on that project in particular. That was um, Days of Pearly Spencer. That too. So a little bit of trivia for you. My daughter, who's 15, um, that growing up was her very favorite song. And so we've oh. listened to that song a billion times. So which other song were you referring to? The, I was uh, like, ja well, the whole Jackie, Pearly Spencer, yeah. Hand Over My Heart. You did all of oh, those. Yeah. Right, and it starts off with a bit of Debussy. Hula, hula, santi. Yeah, yeah, I was really into Debussy at the time. Um, what was it like working with Mark? Well, I tell you what was fun about that was working with Anne because uh, oh, sure, she's the best. Yeah, because we, you know we couldn't find. I, I remember when we started making that record, we couldn't find a drum loop to work with it, so we made our own drum loop because it's like a, a vintage feel, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And none of the drum loops did that, so. We got a drummer and we made our own drum loop. Mm, mm. Uh, yeah, it's it's a funny old feel. Yeah, but I always loved the end, the way uh, the end of the days of Pearly Spencer, where it goes off with the French horns and everything. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, Mark was nice to work with. You know, um, that's kind of all I recall, really. Okay. Um, 
when you executive produce a, a project, like I believe another, speaking of yes, I think Big Generator, I don't know if you're the actual producer or the executive producer of an album uh, like that. Know what, happened, what happened with Big Generator is I did the backing tracks. Oh. Uh, Nitley, and then I bailed. Oh, okay. Why'd you bail? Uh, for numerous no. reasons. Okay, okay. There was too much strife in the band at the time. Oh, I believe it. Success does funny things to people, huh? Yeah. Yeah. There just wasn't the urgency that there was when we were doing 90125. Mm. Mm. I love that album, so. too. I, that makes sense. Okay. Um, yeah. When, so going back to Jackie for a second, do, are those, is it Anne who's, is it real strings on that? Or is it, oh, you, you know, kidding, yeah. okay, that's, it's it it's sounds it's like it. Yes. What, what, okay. what it is, I, I, did, I did the rhythm track in Berlin with a bunch of uh, German programmers. And then I put a 50-piece orchestra on it. Oof. That's the days when you could afford it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was just <laughs> thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about your re Reimagines, the 80s album, because that's a symphonic piece, too. And I believe it's the yeah. SARM Orchestra. So it's the, probably the... That's what it's labeled, anyway. I assume they're... It's all, it's all the A-team. Okay. Yeah. That's it's what all I the thought. English A-team. They're really great players. Yeah. There are some moments on that album that, uh, like for instance, the "What's Love Got to Do with It" with Tony Hadley. He's been on here, by yeah. the way. He, that I like that version better than the original. You must understand that the touch of your hand makes my pulse react. That it's only the thrill. Of boy meeting girl, opposites attract. It's physical, only logical. You must try to ignore that it means more than that. How did oh, you I go see. about picking the songs for that? Because they're not all yeah. yours. There's, I mean, well, Bruce is on there and Joe Jackson. Yeah, well, I just threw all the songs from the 80s and thought which ones I'd like to do. Mm. I've done the same thing again, but this time not symphonic. Um, really? Do you have a new one coming out? for songs that are worth doing with, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, it won't be till the middle of the next year. Okay. Ooh, um, that's gonna be it's great. not a big extra this time. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, it's good. How come th there has yeah. never been a proper Trevor Horn album? There's, I mean, maybe you view the Buggles as that, or maybe um, your production work speaks for itself. But did you ever have an inclination to come up with your own Trevor Horn album at some point along the way? I don't want just figuring out how that. Oh, I've really? done one called High, which is me singing a whole bunch of songs that uh, 
when I grew up, you know? Ooh. Mainly okay. from the 50s and the 60s. Yeah. Songs that I heard when I was a kid that affected me. A couple more modern ones, but not many. Um, uh huh. So. Uh, okay. I just haven't so- figured it I I'm working on I'm working on the art. I've finished the record. Um because the record itself is like a bunch of demos. You know, it's like drum machines meet it, it's it's quite interesting. Okay. Um so I have. So okay. That's the answer. Good. I can't wait to hear it. That's gonna be great. I have a okay, I have sort of a philosophical question for you. You're one of music's great geniuses. Right. And I wonder if you feel like genius has a shelf life well it's true you know it's true we all know it's true <laughs> but like huh. you know if, if we were talking about an athlete michael jordan's prime period because of his physicality and his age can only last in a certain window whereas an artist's can go on who knows how long you know um do you feel like do you feel like you're you were especially on fire at a particular time, or do you feel like you've never lost that? <laughs> That's a difficult question to answer without saying things that you don't want to say. Oh, okay. Um, uh, okay. I think anybody. I, I, I think it's. Uh, I, I, I'm still. I'm amazed that that people are still interested uh-huh. in in something from so, so which is essentially. You know, the decade that started 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I suppose it's the demographic of the people that are alive now. I'm still making records. Uh, mm-hmm. So, okay. But, you know, I'm not producing um, Adele or. Yeah. <laughs> you should. Whatever. I wish. <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, uh, I, I think her guys do a really good job, you know? Uh, yeah. And obviously, the old the, the older you get, the you know, I still I still love to uh, work with a young band if I saw one that I thought had real promise, and I've seen one or two, you know, just just on a couple of tracks, not you know, whole albums, yeah. such a commitment, and for people to have people are not so interested in albums now. I always liked albums, you know, me too, and but if you think about it. What the, what the way I used to look at it was a, a singles record, an album as an artist. Ah, yes. You know, just one record, that's the record. Good point. And somehow, you, sometimes you can sense people are, are, people are going to, when an album's going to, you know, some of the best albums I've done. I've done, you know, whilst I've had a single from the band that I was mm-hmm. working with, in like literally in the charts at the same time True. and i was working night and day to get the album finished but but it, you know like with abc or with with seal on the first album mm-hmm. but that's that's really when you've got that that's an exciting moment because you know people are going to listen to you yeah and i knew that people were going to buy seals album i just could feel it mm-hmm. because i could see that they that they could sense that it was going to be worth it yeah, you know, so I was yeah. very aware of trying to make it work. It worth it. Good. Um, yeah. So that okay. answers the question. Do you um, do you feel like America embraced what you were doing as much 
um, that I had never considered it before getting ready to talk to you, but so many of the projects that you're known for are known worldwide, but primarily, I guess, in the UK. When you were working, did you ever yeah. feel like we need to do something more to break the states or differently, or were you not factoring that in? Well, you know, uh, I guess... You know, and owner owner was number one. I think the album got to number Good one or Good number point. two. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and and so people knew of me from that. Video killed the radio star. I was never actually a hit single in America, but it was so ubiquitous. Yeah, uh, all over the world. I never really got to work with an American band, uh, particularly. Mm. I, I met a few and talked to them and whatever, but it never came about. Uh, that's true. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, no, it never happened. And uh, you know, I worked on films over there and made made a lot of records over there. Used a lot of American musicians. Yeah, but uh, I didn't work with very, very, you know, only one-off things here and there. Mm. Um, so okay, that makes sense. I, I never thought of that there. before. Um, I wanted to ask you about yeah. playing with Dire Straits Legacy. That um, cool. how's that going? Oh, I really enjoy it. Really, I mean, it's hard. It's hard touring, but uh, yeah, it's just great to play with. Um, I mean, you know, we've got you know the, the, the musicianship in that band is so good. The the keyboard player, the piano player, is the original piano player from Dire Straits, a guy called Alan Clark. That was uh, one of my Patreon supporters again. Scott Stevenson brought that up, and I had similar questions too. It amazes me, or I find it so interesting what producers like you choose to put their time and effort into. And, <laughs> you know, a, a guy who defined the 80s, you, feels like the, you know what, at this stage in my life, what makes me happy is playing with Dire Straits Legacy. Hmm. I don't know that that would have been what people picked that's not a knock on dire straits but there's not a long you know you didn't produce dire straits that i know of back no, in the day so why is that the project for you well because i'm just a bass player and i can just <laughs> do playing the bass guitar yeah um that's what i try and do most of the time and it's a, i never played bass in a rock band i played bass for a living till i was 30. Uh -huh. i supported myself but i was always reading the charts, you know, or whatever. I was never in a rock and roll band to actually learn how to play rock and roll and what it's like. I can really enjoy it. It's different. And, you know, I'm prepared to put up with a bit of discomfort to do it, mm -hmm. just to play with those guys. No backing tracks or anything stupid like that. Just playing. Yeah. And that's a real challenge to do. That's wild. I hope but, you I mean, guys I come want, to the know, Next year, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going out with... I'm probably coming out with Seal Ooh, playing the really? first two albums. Oh, yeah. That's yes. what we're talking about. Oh, man. That would be a dream. Dream come true. Um, okay. Rapid fire. Yeah. I'm going to throw some quick questions at you. One in particular, uh, another patron, uh, Pat Francis, wanted to know what happened to Rod Stewart's lost album that you worked on. They'll probably dig it out somewhere in the future. <laughs> Maybe was, after he leaves. But eight, eight songs. Okay. Huh. That's too bad. Um, okay. Another question for you. ABC, Lexicon of Love. That's the third of the three that I mentioned that are in my top 
whatever. Um, right. They never quite sounded like that again. They tried. A lot of those synth bands try on their next album to prove they're a little grittier than they were on the first one. I was curious why um, Alphabet Soup was did not end up on the final album. I, I only did Lexicon of Love. But yeah. It's... I yeah, there's, sorry, there's uh, the, the deluxe version of Lexicon of Love right. includes all these uh, other tracks that didn't end up on it, like um, Into the Valley of the Heathen. Into the Valley of the Heathen Run. Well, that yeah. was a joke. That was something uh, Martin used to do just for a laugh, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I have to. I, you know, I have to look at that. I, I wasn't aware of that's existence. It's on the <laughs> deluxe edition, the deluxe release of Lexicon of Love, which I have. Right. Well, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I should look at that. It's great. Um, yeah, they, they went for a grittier sound. I actually liked the second album um be- beauty staff wasn't it uh-huh. uh, yep yeah i liked it i liked a lot of the songs on it yeah i mean lexicon okay. is going to be a, always going to be a hard album um and it was all about um one thing you know that, yeah that's always a good idea but i i, I liked a lot of the stuff on uh beauty staff i do too i love them when they come yeah. when you d- sign on to work with somebody like abc is there something inherent about that band that makes you hear what you hear in your head that comes out on the album, like yeah, demos or personalities uh, or what? Yeah, okay. Of course, it's 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 all about personalities. You go and meet them. If you're going to be messing with people's music uh-huh. or helping them do it, when I first met them, they played me uh, Poison Arrow.
and there was a bit in Poison Arrow that was a bit sort of wide open. And I said to them, what's going in there? And they said, oh, we thought we could have the sound of a station and somebody saying, saying something. And I, I was a bit like, that's a good idea. I was into that. I, I was into that. So I, 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 I thought, wow, well, I could work with these guys. Um, they're bright. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They're funny and uh, they're engaging. And the whole sort of the song "Shoot That Poison Arrow" mm-hmm. was was such a the lyric was great. You know, so so you so you get involved, and uh, you know they'd only made a couple of records, and and uh, they were they were up for doing whatever they had to do they wanted okay. to make a, a really good record what about frankie then yeah. because um you saw something in them that made you decide that relax and all that you wanted to put your stamp on it but then a lot of them don't play don't play on the album what is it I about frankie that you- stamp on it i wanted to make it into a I heard the song. I thought the song just said, yeah, relax, don't do it. When uh-huh. you want to go to it. Uh-huh. I just thought it, I thought that it had that sort of, uh, that sort of bonehead, simple uh-huh. appeal that sometimes things have, you know? Uh-huh. Um, I had no idea what I was going to do with it. Uh, I just thought it sounded like something, you know. I, you know, I hear lots of things. People always playing me songs, but most of the time they're like formula things, you know, or you know, like a professional song or something like that. And you know, I'm not that interested in smell a rat straight away, you know. <laughs> not smell a rat, but you know what I mean. It's sure. it's like yeah. in ninety nine percent of what I listen to, or you say, oh, it's one of those. It's like that. I've heard this one before, but I'd not heard Relax before. It was interesting. There was something different about it. And Holly's voice had a sound to it mm-hmm. that was like supercharged, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. And the, the combination of the two things, the boom, 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 I thought, yeah, I just thought I can do something with it. Huh. I, I would, wouldn't be surprised if, if, if nobody else saw, saw what, what could be done with it because. I'm sure. Well, maybe maybe they did. You know, I didn't see the final record when I heard it. I didn't fucking fucking clue what I was going to do with it. And you know, I was just going to record. I was going to start off record their version and go from there. But uh-huh. but then I realized I couldn't do that because the guy couldn't play, um, and so they couldn't even do their version. So you know, I could do basically so. So, so then I got a group of really good musicians in and, and played them the demo and they play, they did a version of it. Yeah. And that came up with some ideas and then, then the band tried to play that. And then, then I realized I was flogging a dead and then I started again with a, with a, a technology driven idea. Yeah. That, that didn't sort of involve the band. It was all about the gear we had at that particular moment. But 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 by that point we knew the song so well, you know, that that because we'd been working on three different versions of it. Uh-huh. You know? So we managed to do the thing that came out as a record pretty much in one day. Wow. Just after, just after lunch. After and, a lot of trial and error though. I've had Julian Mendelssohn on here and Gary and again several people. Uh, Nasher from yeah, he's been on here. He's the one who I think finally came up with the with the final version that felt right to everybody. 
Yeah, Julian mixed Julian did the mix of it. Yeah, yeah. But did he did he say what he did? Because I gave it to, I, I I gave it to him to mix, and he'd been working on it for about three hours. And I went in to hear how it was going. I said, it "Doesn't sound great." And I looked at him and I said, "You don't like it, Julian, do you?" And he went, "Not one of your best." <laughs> wow, that's great. You gotta start pushing stuff. You gotta get yeah. going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh okay, last he question. Mixing the edge, Julian he's great. he's a legend. He was on here three or four years ago. Um, okay. So your process is incredible, but it's also incredibly expensive. And I wondered if that ultimately was worth it for you well, you may not have been able to work with as many well, not people on everything. Not on oh not on everything okay like i know nasher was no, critical, but, but, critical but, but, of not honestly, seeing a lot of money from that yeah brian nash didn't write any of the songs that's the problem you see that's why brian nash hurt from the uh, from from the money thing all the guys that wrote the songs did really well yeah but but, but nasher didn't and really really you know um I suppose that's the way things turn out, you know. Nasha mm -hmm. didn't play on the first two singles, you know, so yeah. that's the way it goes. Okay. So he's bound to feel a little bit bitter. Yeah. Um, I heard you on the Word in Your Ear podcast the other day, and they brought up that um, Elvis Costello went into the studio and created, oh, right. did a oh, whole yeah. album in the time it took you to do two, two tribes, and your response was, yeah, but did he have a hit? And uh, I thought, that, that's the best response to that I've ever heard. <laughs> Just mm -hmm. own it, you know? I'm Trevor Horn. I make hits. That's what I do. Yeah. I think they, they thought I was being a bit rude. I wasn't being a bit rude. Look, Not believe at me, at that point in time, we were, we were trying to get two tribes to sound really great, you know? Yeah. And we were putting all of our energy into that. And, and, it was it wasn't easy it, it it took a bit of time because a lot of the equipment was new you know the, the synclavier it was the bass actually on two tribes it took took, took really the most time. for some reason it just took it to get us to, for, for us to get happy with it you're a bass yeah. player do you ever play bass on these recordings if you can't get it right or do you always call a session guy it depends depends what it is yeah okay. i play bass on okay based on the dollar records you know yeah i play oh, on one track on on um lexicon of love which one know, uh, only only during the song uh um all of my heart
that's the, the other bass player plays in the intro and uh, at the end and every time something high on a fretless that you hear but then it's me for the for the meat and potatoes stuff oh that um, sounds a masterpiece yeah okay yeah that's a cool tune that one. yeah so yeah i do sometimes play on okay or any of those interesting um when stockman stock aikman waterman come along do you feel competitive do you feel like they're doing something you should be doing or doing differently or do you think that's a totally different thing they can do what they want i'm going to do my thing i thought they were doing a totally different thing they were okay they were making english dance records yeah and dance records you know are all about finding one a catchy title you know uh-huh um but they're hard to do and, and and they were really good at it yeah i mean because every at the time when they were being successful everyone used to moan about them and i used to say well if you think like musicians are fucking stop walking naked say why don't you have a go see how many you can knock out <laughs> right you, you try doing that that's hard to do man um... and they were they had a point they had a really happen and I bet if you played those records now, they'd still make you want to dance. Yeah, they, you know, they, they hold had up. A, they had a formula. They went in every day and, and worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they so, hold but up. but you're not going to get a whole dance music. The lyrical content is always going to be somewhat limited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I get it. Well, Trevor, I could do this for hours. Um, I okay. Well, thanks very much. I hope you got something. I did. Thank you. Thank you, Trevor, for everything that you put in the world. It's made my life better. Thank you. All right. There you have it, Trevor Horn. Uh, that went pretty well. I, I wish that it had gone better, but again, te- technology was not our friend that day. But I still got to talk to Trevor and share the conversation with you. He's still one of the greatest minds that music will ever have. Uh, as I mentioned, that book, uh, Adventures in Modern Recording is one of the greatest music books I've ever read. I have a copy to give away to a Patreon supporter. Now, if you're not a Patreon supporter, the link to sign up is in the description of this show. What's going to happen is in a few days, I'm going to post a sort of trivia question. Uh, Patreon will flag me if I do a straight giveaway. So I've got to do this trivia question thing. I'll put in a question that relates to this conversation. And uh, if you answer, and you, if you send me the answer, that's a sign to me that you're interested in the book. And then I will do a random drawing this weekend and pick a winner, okay? So if you have not yet signed up for Patreon, hurry and do that, and you'll be in the running to receive the book, okay? Because I'm pretty sure a lot of people are going to want this book. It's fantastic. Uh, I want to close it out with one of the songs that we didn't talk about in here, but that comes up a lot in the book, and it's by the band Dollar. That was one of his first big uh, production jobs that make you think of the Trevor Horn producer that we know of today. And this is a song that he co-wrote called Handheld in Black and White. I love this song. It's pretty amazing to me. When you read the book that I was talking about with Trevor, about Trevor, everybody that's mentioned in there, basically, except Ann Dudley, has been on the show. Gary Langan, Bruce Woolley, um, Julian Mendelssohn, They've all been here, you know? And uh, it's just so much fun to be a part of this world. Speaking of people who have been on the show and are and work with Trevor, next week's guest uh, is someone, I normally don't put producers back to back, but I'm gonna do it next week because we're on a roll here. 
Next week's guest is Stephen Lipson. That's who we're going to talk to next week. And that con that conversation was fantastic. No glitches in that one. And if you want to join us later this week, a deep dive is coming out. The one that I've been promising for a while. And it's of an album that Trevor worked on and that came up in this conversation. A previous guest comes back. We deep dive the whole thing. That's what's coming out this weekend. Okay. So a lot going on. A lot of great stuff. This is our way of honoring uh, Trevor because he's the best. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man, for everything. Uh, gang, you can like our page on Facebook. You can send, them, send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. Okay? Thanks, everybody. We love you.